Hi, this is Kate Luzio, founder and CEO of Luminary, New York's premier collaboration space for women who are passionate about professional development and expanding their networks. Welcome to Come Sit at Our Table, our Be a Luminary podcast. During our podcast, we'll speak to luminous leaders, exploring how they're inviting others to their table and exemplifying luminary behavior in their personal and professional lives. We welcome you to listen and come sit at our table. Hi, and welcome to Come Sit at Our Table, our Be a Luminary podcast. I'm here today with Mita Malik, Head of Diversity and Cross-Cultural Marketing at Unilever. Mita is also a Luminary member and sits on our advisory board. So welcome, Mita. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. We are very excited. We'd love to highlight our members, and you're actually one of our first that we're having on the podcast, so excited about that. Um, So I always start in whether I'm speaking to someone live, if it's on the podcast, if it's on one of our our speaker series, is what's your story? So what's your story? What has led you to where you are today, not just professionally, but personally? My story starts with being the proud daughter of Indian immigrant parents. And I always reflect on, you know, why I'm here today is because of my parents. And we've talked about this and the importance your parents have played in your life. But my mom being such an amazing role model, my dad being such an ally for me. And, you know, my parents came here. My dad was from a family of 10, my mom from a family of nine. And they didn't know anyone in the U.S. And they just came because they wanted a great life for two children they didn't even have yet. And my dad was highly educated, but I remember he would tell stories of when he got to this country doing a lot of odd jobs, including janitorial services, and telling us that he could only afford one pint of fried rice a day, which he would split with a friend. And he stayed at the YMCA. He came to Manhattan when he first first came here. And then my mom later came when she could get a green card. But I, I think about them and I think about the legacy they've left for us, which is the power to dream big, mm-hmm. resilience, yeah. never saying no, never giving up. Taking so, a risk. Taking a risk. I mean, I don't know if I could have done that at their age yeah. and go to a country where English was not my first language and start from scratch. And so that has that continues to drive me to this day. And so that is a big piece of my story and who I am and how I can pay that forward for other people. That's sort of where I am in my life right now, what I can do to help other people find their purpose and help elevate While them. also living your purpose. Absolutely. Yeah. So so you're the head of DNI or head of diversity and cross-cultural marketing at Unilever. So we'll talk a little bit about your career path and what led yeah. you there because you have a, an amazing and incredible story that's not what you think of when you think of a head of DNI, right? Um, most yes. heads of diversity grow up in a sense, in human resources. Right. Um, but you didn't. So how did you get to where you are, not just at Unilever and what, what's the path that you took there, but, but certainly in this, um, well, now almost four years ago role as the head of diversity and cross-cultural yeah. marketing? So I have a strong business background. I was always the kid who I'm obsessed with storytelling, loved watching commercials. <laughs> I, love, I love your commercial story. <laughs> loved watching commercials when people watch commercials, and I never watched shows. Just watched commercials. <laughs> loved going to the grocery store, was obsessed with the Keebler Elf. Like, what is this Keebler Elf? <laughs> My mom always bought us Peebler, which is the generic store brand. We couldn't afford a Keebler. But I was always obsessed with that. And 
but all my role models growing up were doctors or engineers, which we often talk about. Role models are so important. I didn't think you could do anything different yeah. until I remember being in New Jersey in a Dunkin' Donuts and seeing an Indian woman running the Dunkin' Donuts. And I was like, wait a minute. At 10, I, 10 years old, I was like, I could do that? Like, I could go into business? But <laughs> right. This is, again, the power of role models. Yeah. And if you see it, you can believe Absolutely. it. Absolutely. So I, I have a very strong analytical background because I did everything but take the MCAT. And, and I just decided, I was like, I don't even like the sight of blood. Like, what am I doing? Like, I can't be a doctor, but this is all I knew. Yeah. And so I ended up going into business and ended up going to get my MBA, had a great career for nine years in, in beauty and personal care. Never was a big foodie, big beauty person, but that's what I was doing, leading big brands and teams. And my CEO came and asked me to take on this assignment to lead diversity and inclusion for North America. We had no one doing it in, at Unilever at the time. And I said no to him three times. And yeah. my younger brother was like, it's time to say yes. He said, he's asked you three times. And part of it is we've talked about as you think about careers, I just didn't, I didn't see myself going into the inclusion space because I had a different vision for myself. I was going to be the, the head of Lipton or Baby Dove right. or do marketing. Like why would I ever go into inclusion? And it's been the most amazing gift for me. And it has changed what I see my possibilities are in so many ways. And I think that the lesson in this is sometimes people see a vision for you that you don't see for yourself. Yeah. And, and to embrace that. And I think if I go back to my days on turning around Vaseline, which was in double-digit decline, and signing Viola Davis to help turn that business around as our healing ambassador, the lens of inclusion and thinking about how brands can really authentically connect with different communities. I had done that for a long time. Yeah. And then it made sense to think about how do you do that for workspaces and workplaces. Yeah, and we had this conversation, I think when we first met was as someone who spent all the 20 years in banking, but was on the side of my desk doing all this stuff in diversity inclusion, yeah. especially for women, I had wanted to raise my hand more to, to, to try to get into that more of that diversity space. And it was always this, oh, but you come from the business. And I think more and more companies now are seeing the relevance of bringing someone from the business into not just DNI but HR in general because you've got such credibility, knowledge and experience in the trenches with the people that are living it day in and day out. Absolutely. And when I took this job, I thought I have to unlearn everything I know about business and figure out what it means to be a DNI professional and what it means to be in HR. And then I realized, wow, like everything I've done to this point is why I'm doing this job because I have that skill set to bring to it. Exactly. So I don't, you know, understanding, it's putting the, understanding the business and what's driving that, understanding when you get into this role, what gets measured gets done. Yeah, I'm very, that's a know, big one. What gets measured gets done. We mm -hmm. know that. I always joke. No one yeah. would ever say to me, let's just sell some bottles of lotion to Walmart and see right. what happens. That's right, a, right. It doesn't like, work like that. It doesn't work right. like that. So why all right. of a sudden do we get uncomfortable when we start talking about our workforce and what we're measuring? And does our workforce really reflect all the consumers we want to delight and surprise every day? All of a sudden, it becomes uncomfortable. But I came from that, from that perspective. Also, this is like a movement. So how do you build something from the ground out? How do you build strategy? How do you get people involved? I mean, those are things that you do from a, from a brand perspective. Absolutely. As you're building Luminary, right? Same thing. Yes. It's very, very similar. But I'm going to go back to something you said. You said, I said no three times when you were asked. So we often hear about women not getting the opportunity for a role and raising their hand and they're getting passed over. 
particularly for by their male, male peer. Or, but you said no three times. Number one, how did it feel to, to have to build up that confidence to say no? I mean, you're in, in a huge company. You've got a great role within the marketing and brand organization. And now you're being asked to do this by your CEO. And you say no three times. That had to take a lot of guts to say, I'm going to just go. I'm going to do what I want and not take this the first time I'm asked. But by the way, you didn't take it the second time you were asked either. <laughs> I also say no very politely, if you know yeah. me. No with, no with a smile. I, I said no because I continued to, the things that I wanted in my career, I didn't see that this role could provide me because I was being short-sighted. So now I know what are the things that I really like to do. I really enjoy problem solving. I really enjoy building things from the ground up. And I enjoy connecting with people. Like that's a big part of this work. And so if, if I think about it from that lens, this is actually the perfect role for me and the perfect yeah. casting, which I think Unilever actually does really well. And a lot of companies were getting here. Thinking about breaking down silos and being agnostic in terms of roles. Like what is this person good at? What is Kate really good at? Right. What's her profile? So then Kate could go run supply chain. She could run finance, like based on her skill set. Why does it have to be that she just has to be in marketing? So Mita could go and lead DNI. Yeah, I think you know it's interesting because you you said no, and and again, I think a lot of times women are told to just take the roles. Right? It's a it's a different role to take it. Um, you said no. You realize now that yeah. it's it is the right role for you, and you love what you're doing. But still, at the time, you had a lot of confidence in the ability to say no. I think, again, we, we hear often just about that we're not getting the opportunities. You were getting that opportunity. Right. It just took a little time for you to make that decision, and that was okay. Absolutely. And I think when you say no or you're saying yes, I'm, I'm lucky that I've had lots of great sponsors that surrounded me throughout the moments in my career to go back and say, like when I say I said no three times and I finally said yes, right. checking with people to ask. Yeah. Like, and you know, you get feedback and feedback's a gift. You can like take it or throw it out. Absolutely. But trying to figure out what you do with that's important. And I think I certainly wasn't that way in the beginning of my career. These are things that you build over time. Sure. Confidence to say, sure. to say no. But I also think when you say no, you say it with credibility. I've built a lot of credibility in the organization. And why are you saying no? The reasons to say no. And sometimes you say yes to things because the company needs you or someone else believes there's something in it for you, like in my situation. Mm -hmm. But I think you have to sort of weigh those options and stick to your guns either way. And clearly you've had both within Unilever, but but more broadly in the other companies that you work for and just in your network, a lot of advocates and sponsors. It's how we met. Yeah, absolutely. Um, with a, a, one, a mutual luminary member, yes. but also a, a, um, the Claude Silver, the chief heart officer at Vayner. Yes. And knew that we were both kind of in this together and put us together, literally. And, and things have, have, I think, greatly changed for me as an individual, as someone that looks at you as a peer mentor and you and Unilever had the opportunity to take part in uh, one of our events here called Sustainable Connections and Unleashing the Power of Peer Mentoring. So, and you're a huge advocate of that. So on the one hand, can we talk a little bit about peer mentoring for you and as you're leading this, this team? And then two, 
you, you've alluded to it a couple times, is sponsorship. Absolutely. And you've become a great peer mentor to me. And I've met so many fantastic women at Luminary who were, have become part of my community of peer mentors. Right. And I always joke with people, I meet so many employees, people in my life who want a mentor. And mm-hmm. I always joke and say, okay, let me Amazon Prime you, the perfect mentor. <laughs> let me get that delivered in yeah. 24 hours. It doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit like dating. There's yeah. chemistry. The person has to have skin in the game. What's the commitment, right? Ours is a a strong peer mentorship. It's also very informal. It's text, it's calls, it's emails. Right. We have each other's back. We're there for each other when we need each other. And so finding those people... And that's why we did the event at Luminary with, we had four other large companies there because I want women to go and find their own peer mentors and create that community for themselves because that's the only way it's going to happen. I think there's so much power in peer mentors. We're always looking for the CEO to mentor us. Right. Or the CFO or someone in the C-suite. And sometimes... That can be a great mentor. Our CEO, Amanda Story, has been a great advocate for me. They also don't have the sort of time, time. or the questions that you might ask. Right. And so I think there's a huge unlock, especially as you grow in your career. It's the people that are you're surrounding yourself with that are going to help you. Yeah, we forget that, right? We forget that you're not, you You know, you you were in that event. It was Unilever. It was BCG and, and others that were sitting, JLL, Robes and Gray, and so multiple industries kind of coming together and we forget the one number one the grass isn't always greener right but bouncing ideas off of asking for help introductions more connections this building of our professional networks doesn't have to stop within our own companies absolutely and you said it earlier breaking down the silos Mm -hmm. we've got to break down the silos and i think peer mentoring is underestimated and one of the things that I love about when people come into Luminary, whether you're at the C-level, we have many members at that level, all the way down to I'm new into my career, they walk in and say, I feel like I'm amongst my peers. Equal love, equaling. Exactly. Equal playing field. Exactly. Love it. Yeah. But you can also right-size that when you bring other women together and you make those connections. So you talked about Absolutely. meeting other peers and, you know, learn. You've met the second shift here as an example. Yes, absolutely. Jenny and Gina, phenomenal. Um, But so the peer mentoring is important. Mentoring is important. But sponsorship is equally as important. You are actually in a new book by Sylvia Ann Hewitt called the is it the The sponsor sponsor effect? The sponsor effect. So clearly, it's important to you. Yes. Um, And can you talk a little bit about your experience with sponsors? You mentioned or alluded to Amanda. Yeah. Um, but you have others. Yeah, and I think there's a fundamental difference between mentorship and sponsorship, and Sylvia N. Hewlett talks a lot about this in the work she's done, in particular this book with the Harvard Business Review she's published recently. Sponsorship, if I am a sponsor for you, Kate, I'm going to use my social and political capital to help you advance your career. It's not just let's get a coffee and chit-chat. Right. It's like, what does Kate need? What does her succession plan look like? What are the introductions I can make within and outside the company. Right. Let me get her name on the diverse slate for a role she wasn't considered for. How can I influence on your behalf? Absolutely. Yeah. And who is talking about you when the door is closed? Absolutely. Right? Do you know who those people are? Mm-hmm. And I think it's important. In particular, it just can't be your line manager. Right. right? So in this book with, with Sylvia, I talk about Jonathan Atwood, who's been one of my career sponsors, Unilever. I don't report to Jonathan. I never have. But this idea of career sponsors that aren't just your line manager, it has to be other people who are advocating for you and seeing your work and also 
with the sponsor effect, you have to think about for the sponsor, what's in it for them? Mm -hmm. Well, what's in it for them is Mita's helping me as well. Yeah. She's helping me advance my agenda or what I'm trying to get done at the company. And also it makes the sponsor look great. A hundred percent. One hundred percent. And the the light and the spotlight that it shines on everyone. So that's why we need more we need more men sponsoring women and stepping up to do that. Ironically, and thanks to your introduction, Sylvia was here this morning. Great. So we are excited to work work with her. Um so as an advisory board member of Luminary and also in, in what you're doing just from a from your career development and growing you've talked a lot about what how you're looking at this ladder and kind of climbing the ladder and part of that is investing in yourself and developing why was it important to you around building out your career to to join and become more on the board level yeah i think cheryl sandberg's book lean in and what she talks about in terms of careers no longer being like ladders and being like jungle gyms yeah. has resonated with me for years. Yeah. And so this idea of curating experiences for yourself. And for me, I have I don't believe in experts anymore. There are no such thing as experts. There's people with deep expertise. Mm-hmm. I now have deep expertise in the inclusion space. And yeah. after having met you and the conversations we had and when you joined asked me to join in February at Makers I was like yeah. thrilled over a glass of bubbly I was like oh my god this is what I've been looking for because I want to be able to bring to the table my expertise but also learn from other like-minded men and women and also the mission of luminary which is so close to my heart to help like how can we continue to turbocharge that yeah. And so that to me is there's so much learning in that because the individuals who sit on the advisory board, the meeting we just had a few weeks ago, all very different, all great skill sets. Right. And just even being at a table in any sort of capacity in a board setting for two hours, seeing how people think, how they react, how they problem solve, how they process information, very different right? from how we yeah. each do it. And I'm just learning from that perspective. Yeah. And then how we tackle big projects and things going forward. So I would advise any woman in her career to think about that. I mean, an advisory board is just one step at that. But if you have the time and can do it, I have so many friends who are doing nonprofit boards. I have um, higher ed, higher ed friends who are now dipping their toe into like public private boards. And so there's just so much opportunity for learning there. And make it known. You know, there's so many. I mean, I'm on, as you know, I'm on two nonprofit boards and. People don't know that you want to do that until you put it out there, until you start telling people, hey, I, I, I would love to be on an advisory board. I'd love to be on a, on a nonprofit. I'd love to be on a private board because it's not just a linear path from I just get on a public board, right? Um, we need more women on those. Absolutely. But there are lots of other boards and abilities to work with companies mm-hmm. and serve on company boards. And, you know, I think it goes back to putting it out there, asking, making sure people know that that's something that you desire, right? Absolutely. People can't read your mind. You exactly. have to put it out into the universe so people can help you. It's the same when, then, when you need help at work. It's the same when you're thinking Absolutely. about negotiation. It's this. It, we've got to stop being so shy, and I, I don't mean that in a negative way, but this whole idea of self-promotion, which I used to think was not a great word, and now I know using it in the right way and you use it authentically is a great word because if you're not out there Mm self-advocating you're advocating for others all the time you have to continue to self-advocate because no one knows better than you do 
your value, whether it's to your company, mm-hmm. to your investors, to your board, to your relationships in general, right? It's 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 a huge. Um, I think it's a huge issue for women in general around this this lack of confidence. Totally agree. Um, so, we, you run diversity. It's not just about women. So, um, which is often the case, I think people think, oh, we just need more women and we've solved our problem. Um, but it's much bigger than that. Uh, and Unilever is, is really doing a great job in trailblazing in a lot of different ways. And that kind of adds to your title, this whole idea of multicultural marketing. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? And what are, what are you and, and Unilever doing, if you can give a couple of examples? Yeah, and it's interesting. We actually, when I got the expansion of my role Mm -hmm. for inclusion and cross-cultural marketing. Because multicultural marketing, while many companies still use that terminology, is really based from the 1980s. Yeah. Marketing based on um, ethnic backgrounds. And for us, that's important and it's about who you worship, who you love. It's it's about intergenerational differences. And so we all have multi- different identities like if you ask me how I identify I identify as a brown woman which is very an inclusive term under the umbrella of brown I also identify as the child of immigrant parents I'm a mother I'm a wife like it just there's right, so, so much many. right and I asked you yeah. question, you would go there's so many ways you identify and so we wanted to talk about the cross-cultural marketing piece and I think the intersection for me is very clear we focus on team composition and we have to that's 150 percent what we want to do and will continue doing. And at the same time, and not in substitution, you have to focus on increasing the cultural competency and agility of your marketing leaders, all leaders. leaders. You can't lead in business today if you have no idea of the socioeconomic environment that you're operating in. And we've seen a lot of companies make huge mistakes. And so one of the things we started to do is we trained the entire organization on unconscious bias training. We realized that's not enough. Unconscious bias training, I think, by the way, we've talked about is, is good as long as leaders then talk about their own unconscious bias exactly. and what they're working through. You just can't do the training and check the box, but yeah. really do the work. We then realized the, you know, what I, what I grew up with in marketing is the fundamental is I know you so well, I can surprise and delight you with a product or service you wouldn't have expected because right. I know you that well. Right. And you've lost the plot a little bit if you don't do the work to understand these communities you serve. So we started a cultural immersion series working with Language Culture Worldwide, Monica Marcel and her team partnering. Mm-hmm. There was nothing like this in the market. We have a title of four that we've taken our community through. The first is, I'll give you an example, understanding the experience of being black in America today. Even when I say that, it makes people uncomfortable. Even when I intro the course and people are in the room, they're like, why am I here? What are you talking about? Right. What did I do wrong? And it's like, no, let's understand through the lens of the black consumer what the history has been right and then what does the the actual marketing and brands work look like so what that means is the first two hours is understanding the institution of slavery why does it have modern day repercussions you then start to understand themes of colorism body integrity dehumanization of blacks for centuries and then you go into the content piece all the content we're all putting out there that some of that's been racist, missed the mark, offensive. Right. But then we also look at things where we're celebrating communities and really amazing examples. Nike, Colin Kaepernick, which I know has been talked about a lot. Right. So we have that one. We've done Latinx, LGBTQ. We just rolled out the Muslim experience. We've trained over 4,000 marketers, 
and leaders both globally and locally. It's been amazing. And it starts, I mean, the way you're approaching it is really starts with uh, rooted in education, right? Let's give you a, almost a history lesson of where we were where and yeah. where this population and, and who identifies in that way came from or has come from. And now what's that future look like? Absolutely. I mean, that's such a different way versus, by the way, here's your packet and your PowerPoint and here's your training and yeah. thanks for the hour and now walk away. No, it's a four and a half hour immersive yeah. experience. And if you ask me, so what's the result? It's not a silver bullet, yeah. but what it does, we also have our agency partners go through it. We just had Ogilvy in London. They've been hosting a number wow. of sessions because Unilever is not their only client. This is right. amazing work for anybody to go through. And what it does is it unlocks a conversation, Kate, to say, if you're my agency partner, I'm the marketer. Why does the brief say 18 to 55 year old Caucasian woman? Why are we <laughs> right. why are we casting racially ambiguous people? What does right. that even mean, mean, right? Do we have let's just talk about this. Do we have the right voices around the table as we look at this brief, whether it's for a product, a content campaign? Let's just have the conversation because if we're missing a critical voice, let's get that voice into the room. So that's what's been really powerful. And I think the final piece is we always say we're we're a product of our experiences that's what our gut is right you trust yeah. your gut yeah but you got to retrain your gut right yeah you have absolutely to retrain it. and so that's the process because so much of marketing oh i trust my gut but what if your gut is actually a product of different experiences how do you actually continue to and, retrain your gut and by the way it increases our ability to understand what others are going through absolutely right um well you just you just mentioned um others at the table. And so yes. one of the questions we always ask our guests is how are you inviting other women to the table, right? We hear so much. And also that's our, that is our hashtag come sit at our table and the name of the podcast, but it's important that we're starting to balance these tables. And I'm not just talking about, we're not just talking about the C-suite or the board. Those are, we have to have that, but if we don't invest in the pipeline and that's pipeline in all areas and in all um, careers and industries and entrepreneurs and the cap tables, but how are you personally inviting others to the table, women in specific, specifically? Let's start with physically inviting them into the table. So what do I mean? There's a meeting at work. There's a woman who's been left off the list. Why isn't she in the meeting? She has so much knowledge on this topic. Get her in the meeting. Get yeah. her in the meeting and pull up the seat at the table. I used to be the person if you could have seen me 10 years ago, who would be sitting in the corner, whether it was in the classroom yeah. or yeah. Take you walk into like a big room and I'd be sitting in the corner. All the chairs at the table would be empty, right? But now there's always room at a table. Just pull up, pull the, up seat the seat physically. I think another interesting conversation I had with a woman yesterday, yesterday actually was, you know, as she's going on maternity leave, getting credit for some of the work that she's doing. And it's like, set up the meeting yourself. You yeah. can always set up a meeting Absolutely. with the head of a group. Create your own meeting. Invite yourself to sit at the table. So you can do that, but you can do that for others too. Yeah. So if you see so often people who aren't maybe getting to actually present their own work, which happens in large corporations. Yeah, it's not, sure. It's not uncommon. But then finding other ways for that person on your team to be able to showcase the work they do. They might not present directly to the CEO, but okay, let's get let's create another forum in which you can do that and share. Right. They can present it to the team. Absolutely. Right? They can present it to the next level up versus the CEO. I mean, there's lots of ways. And I think um, you sitting in the corner, right, also goes back to that self-confidence. Absolutely. Right? So, Sometimes we have to wait for someone to invite us, but a lot of times we just have to sit, take our, our take rightful seat, seat yeah, right? Absolutely. Um, 
And the last question we ask everyone is, who is your luminary? My mother. Love it. 150%. Why? Always, always, always. She, I can't express to you how much she's done for my brother and I. And also, as we lost our father suddenly two years ago, as she's living her life and finding new purpose, Mm -hmm. and how you go through that transition is just remarkable and the strength that she has and the courage and bravery. So it's interesting also as you age and you see all everybody going through different stages. And so my respect and admiration for her is just... And continues to grow. Absolutely. Unbelievable. Well, Mita Malik, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Luzio. It's been a pleasure.